John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Would you go there with me, please? John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, and the fourth chapter, and we're going to begin in verse 39 this morning and read through verse 42. We began a few weeks ago seeing this exchange with Jesus and the woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, and we've been progressing through this story and the scenes that unfold here in John's uh, Gospel, chapter 4. Follow along with me. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you today and, and you have it open before you to John 4, and let's begin in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now John chapter 20, may I remind you, John chapter 20 and verse 31 reminds us that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This gospel that we've been studying together The Apostle John wrote, moved along by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that that these things, these things in John's Gospel and the things that we're looking at this morning were written for our benefit. How? It's in John 20, 31. I just read it. How? That we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, in the text before us, we have an example of those who've gone before us in placing their faith in Jesus Christ. They are an example for us and to us as those who have gone before us in in believing in Jesus Christ and placing their faith in Him. And what we have here in this passage that I just read to you, we actually have here two pictures of faith in Christ, and we could even call them two levels of faith in Christ. And these are important pictures for us to see this morning. Verse 39, the first picture of faith we see here is in verse 39. Look at it again with me where it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Him, and here's the first picture of faith, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Here's the first picture of faith. Note first, it's the witness of this Samaritan woman. It's her witness that's being pointed to here. In effect, these many Samaritans, it says many Samaritans from the town believe the town of Sychar we saw earlier in our earlier study. Many people from this town came out because of this woman's witness, because of her testimony. And it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's witness, because of her testimony. He told me everything I did. I'm sure that's not all she said. I'm I'm guessing they had questions, right? You would have. 
They asked her questions. She answered, and then she's, you've got to come and see him. Come and see him for yourself. Come with me. I'll show you where he is. Come and see. So here's this first picture of faith. It's this witness of the Samaritan woman that's pointed to here. In effect, they're, they're saying the Samaritans are from the town who believed in Christ are saying she told us about Christ and we believed her and we put our faith in Christ because of her witness. We believed. Now they came to faith in Christ because of the testimony of the Samaritan woman. Now, it's likely that before they followed her, of course, I said earlier, just she probably had had to answer their questions before they were willing to follow her just yet, but she was convincing. She was convincing because many believed. Many believed in Jesus. Maybe they had questioned a woman about Christ and she answered their questions and, and conviction came to their hearts and what she said helped open their eyes to the truth and they believed in Jesus and they wanted to see Him for themselves. And so they went. You realize that being a witness for Christ is one of the greatest privileges of being a follower of Christ? Do you realize that? That being a witness, a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest privilege this side of heaven of being a follower of Christ, to be able to tell others about what Jesus Christ has done for you. Leading another soul to the point where they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a what a tremendous privilege that is. Sometimes I... I think we don't look at being a witness as a great privilege. I think we should. The witness of this woman must have been a powerful witness because many believed it was convincing, it was convicting because this was, think about, this was an unlikely thing to happen that these Samaritans would put their faith in Jesus, a Jew. They didn't like each other too well. They didn't get along too well, but these Samaritans believed in, in someone that they, we would say, well, they shouldn't have believed in him. They don't get along, these types of people. But, but they did. They did believe. Do you realize the importance of your witness for Christ? I hope you do. Do you realize how important your witness is? Do you realize that God used this one woman? Think about this one woman that God used. God used this one woman to bring many people to faith. And if you know the story, if you've been with us through the story, or if you've read the Gospel of John and you know the story, you've been in church all your life and you've heard the story preached on before, maybe a hundred times before, you think, this is an unlikely woman for God to use. Don't you think? Don't you think this is an unlikely person for God to use? I mean, in our own, in our own humanity, we would not have chosen a person like this to tell others about Christ, would we? Here she was, despised by the people from her own town. And we would say maybe for good reason. She isn't the kind of woman that you'd expect God to use. But He did. Right? He did. And it's a challenge to me. It ought to be an encouragement to, to me. It ought to be an encouragement to you to realize that Maybe no one would come and choose you to share Christ, but God chose you. If you're His child, God chose you to share Christ. Think of the reach of this woman that she, that she reached into this community that despised her. She was coming out to the well because she didn't want to go to the well in town. She was avoiding contact with other people from her town. And yet, when she finds Christ, 
all that's history. She could care less about her past. She could care less about her guilt, her shame. Those are gone in Christ. She goes back to town to tell the very people she's been avoiding, you have got to see Jesus. You've got to see this man who told me everything I did. Think of the reach and witness of the Samaritan woman. It says here in our text that many believed, and then it says just a little bit later that many more believed. We don't know the number, but many is many, right? Many from the town came, and many more believed. And just try to imagine how how many have come to faith in Christ because of the witness of this one woman. Because of her witness. Because she was willing to say, you know what, those people despise me and I've been avoiding them, but I'm going to go back to them and tell them about the, the living water that I, that I just received from Jesus because they need that too. And she goes back and she forgets about her pride and in humility she says, could this be the Christ? Asking a question so that maybe she doesn't get scorned. Like, who are you to say that's the Christ? She says, could this be the Christ? To kind of pique their interest. And, and I'm guessing they asked questions here and then she answered them and then they go. And many believed. What a privilege is ours to witness for Christ. What a privilege it is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And what a tragedy when we make witnessing for Christ seem scary and hard. Have you ever been scared about witnessing? Even as I talk about witnessing, you're thinking, I mean, a lot of people here, right? So we're all thinking maybe different things. Some of us are probably thinking the same thing like this. Ah, witnessing, I'm not sure I can do that. Because sometimes when we talk about witnessing for Christ, we get this mental image, this picture that says, you're going to accost someone in public and ask them if they died tonight, where they'd wake up in the morning. Do you know, right? And we'd ask him that question. And we think witnessing is going and knocking on a total stranger's door and asking them if they know Jesus. That's a form of witnessing. That's one way witnessing occurs. It's not the only way. And it is likely not the best way in every situation. So let's be careful, because I think it's kind of tragic when we think about witnessing for Christ as scary and hard. It ought not be. It ought not be. It ought to be natural. Look at the woman at the well. What did she do? She turned and went back to town and said, come and see. She answered questions. She told them about Christ. Do you realize that if you're a Christian, maybe you didn't know this, you never thought about it this way, but if you're a Christian, if you say, I'm a follower of Christ, I want to be like Christ, I want to live for Him, if, if, if that describes your life, do you realize that you are a witness? You are a witness. What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? He said, you will be my witnesses. You will be. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power, and that's where we ought to start. We'll receive power. How? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you're God's child, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working in you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be. not. You know, you may kind of want to be a witness. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, you know, you, you kind of should be a witness. It doesn't say that. You know, you could be a witness. It doesn't say that. It says you will be a witness. And here's what I'm talking about. If you're a Christian... 
everything you do, including your speech, maybe especially your speech, but also your conduct. And maybe we could say your conduct is probably even more important than your speech because we can say one thing and do something else, right? So your speech, your conduct, which often is affected by your attitude, right? Speech and conduct often have uh, the outcome of our speech and conduct usually has its root in our attitude, right? And so our attitude ought to be a witness. And we can communicate an attitude. I can do it just by looking at you, right? We can communicate attitudes. You can communicate an attitude to me. And, and, you know, those of you who have children know that your children can communicate an attitude without saying a word. And around our house, you know, that's just as much as saying a word, right? So you can say, look, you can look like you're rebellious or you can say something, but, you know, we're going to hold you accountable because God holds us accountable, right? To our attitudes, our actions, our word, our conduct, our speech, the way we speak with people, the way we do our work. You realize that if you're a follower of Christ, you are a witness. You are. You will be. (laughs) You are. So, Christ follower, (laughs) be encouraged that witnessing ought not be scary and hard. It ought to be a part of, a natural part of your life. Obviously, the question then is, what kind of a witness will you be? Right? What kind of a witness are you going to be? Are you going to be a good one? Are you going to be a bad one? Are you going to be a good witness, a positive witness for Christ, or a negative witness for Christ? Right? But you know, to be a witness for Christ in the positive should be the greatest joy that you have on earth. To be a witness for Jesus Christ in the positive ought to be one of your greatest joys. You ought to find great joy in knowing that God chooses to use your witness, your life lived for His glory, to, to bring people to Christ, to point people to Himself. That God chooses to use us. He doesn't have to use us. And certainly God doesn't always use the witness of a person to save a sinner. But more often than not, it's how God works. He uses our witness and He chooses to use us. I want to mention something else about being a witness because often when a preacher starts talking about witnessing for Christ, very quickly we get nervous, right? And I've touched on it already. We think, oh boy, I don't know if I can confront people and, and tell them about Christ and challenge them about where they're living their life now apart from Christ. And I think we're so afraid, right? We have fear. And we think, if I confront somebody who doesn't want me to be talking to them, they're going to get angry with me and I don't want anybody angry at me. Well, you know, there's one way to look at this, and and I don't mean this in a way that, that, that seems flippant, but if, if you're going to offend somebody and make somebody angry, I can't think of a better way to do it than with the gospel. If, if, you're, if you're going to have people upset with you, at least have them upset with you because you're witnessing to them, right? And I don't mean to go and hammer people and tear them apart, tear them to shreds with your Bible knowledge and their lack of. I'm talking about being a gracious believer, a person who who's living in this world alongside unbelievers, who's pointing them to Christ. And, you know, if you're going to make somebody upset with you, if you're going to offend somebody, it ought to be with the Word, right? With the Gospel. And I'm not suggesting you tear them apart with the Word. I'm just saying you live the Gospel. And when you live the Gospel, the Gospel is an offensive thing in the world in which we live, isn't it? I think it's the wrong picture to paint that we that we paint when we think about witnessing being confronting someone and being afraid that they're going to get angry with us. I was just think about 
the the scenes we see in the gospel that we're studying here together in John. Just think about the scenes of the witnessing going on here in John. I think I think it's a wrong picture that we should have when we think of witnessing in, in that way as being something that's hard and scary and maybe even um, confrontational. Certainly not the picture of witnessing we see in, in the Scripture. Just just think of the witnesses we've seen here so far in our studies here in John. Think of the witness of Jesus to, to Nicodemus. How did that start? Nicodemus came to Christ asking questions, right? And, and Jesus started answering his questions, graciously, lovingly answering Nicodemus's questions. Think of the witness of the woman at the well, which we've been looking at, right? How did that start? The woman came to get water. She came to fetch water, and Jesus says, give me a drink, would you? Wonderful way to strike up a conversation. Could you help me? <laughs> Think of that witness. Think of the witness of this woman in in the town of Sychar. She goes back to tell people she's been avoiding. Think of her witness. I, I'm thinking she lost her fear <laughs> because she realized she had living water now that she had never experienced before, she never knew before, and she wanted to share that. So she lost her fear and went back to town to tell these people about Christ. Think of those who are putting their faith in Christ here in our passage today. How did they come to Christ? They came to Christ as a result of this woman's witness. Her just living out her faith. She turned around and went back to town and, and the quickest way she thought I can just live my faith is to tell others. You know, when wondering if you can tell others about Christ, you know, if it's, if you're going to be able to, <laughs> If you'll have the words to say, when wondering, I want you to think of those that God was drawing to Himself by the work of His Spirit and think of the humble woman He chose to use to witness to them. I doubt we would have chosen her to, to, to go to those people in Sychar. But God chose her. Think of the humble circumstances in which she humbled herself to go back and to share the, the powerful testimony of Jesus Christ. A.W. Pink says about this same thing that, that we are shown how that God is pleased to use feeble messengers to accomplish mighty ends. Frequently he employs weak instruments to make manifest his own mighty power. In this, as in everything else, the Lord's thoughts and ways are very different from ours. He employed a shepherd lad to vanquish the mighty Goliath. He endowed a Hebrew slave with more wisdom than all the magicians of Babylon possessed. He made the words of Naaman's servants to have greater effect upon their august master than did those of the renowned Elisha. In making selection for the mother of the Savior, he chose not a princess but a peasant woman. In appointing the heralds of the cross, fishermen were the ones called, and so a mighty work of grace was started here in Sychar by a converted harlot. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know, the Spirit of God was obviously working in the hearts of those individuals. And the point is that when we start thinking that it's our job to win souls. You know, we use that term. You ever use that? I've used that term before. I want to be a soul winner. You know, we sometimes think about that the wrong way. It's not our job to win souls. Like we're going to convince somebody into the kingdom. You know, sometimes we think if, if I could just be more courageous or, 
if I could just be more convincing with the right kind of arguments, or if I could just have a snappy comeback to someone's objections. Sometimes we think we're supposed to win souls. And when we do, we're forgetting that it's really God who wins souls. It's not us. We're not going to convince them into the kingdom if God's not drawing them and if the Holy Spirit's not working in their heart. If someone has objections, you witness to them, but you leave it in the Lord's hands because it's His job to win the soul. It's His job to save the soul. We're to be messengers. We're to be witnesses. And all of life is to be our witness. And the sovereign God of the universe will bring you into the lives of other individuals so that you can be the witness for Christ that He wants you to be as you speak to those individuals, as you live your life for Christ in front of them, and as you tell them about your Savior. We witness and depend on Him. We trust and obey, as the song goes, right? We trust He's going to work. We let Him do the winning We do the witnessing. We trust. We obey. We depend on the working of the Spirit. God does the real work. God does the winning and the saving. God's the only one that can change the heart. You know, it's just as we see in our passage that many of the Samaritans soon put their faith in Christ. Some came and believed in Him first because of the verbal witness of the woman at the well who went to them and said, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She must have been a powerful witness. She very likely explained things to them about this man that he had explained to her when they asked questions. Her witness must have been powerful. But listen, true faith in Christ doesn't rest solely on the testimony of another. Here's what I mean. True faith in Christ doesn't rest solely on the testimony of another. True faith is the result of the Spirit's work in the heart, and true faith proceeds on to Christ. True faith doesn't rest only in the testimony of an individual. It didn't for these people. It hasn't for you. If you're God's child, you haven't rested in the testimony of the one who pointed you to Christ. That's the other picture of faith in Christ that we see here in the text. And we can see that these Samaritans from the town had true faith in Christ because what did they do? They followed her and they went back to Jesus, right? There's more evidence here, though. The evidence of it is seen in that they went to see Jesus and as He spoke with them, they asked Him to stay. They wanted Him to stay, a Jew. They wouldn't have had anything to do with a Jew unless they believed that he was the Savior of the world, which they did. And so they wanted him to stay. It wasn't long after that they no longer were only convinced by the woman's testimony. They saw for themselves who Christ is, and they believed for themselves. And not long after that, many more believed. You see, she didn't have to convince them or sell them a line that they'd have to buy to have faith in Christ. She got them to Christ. She pointed them. She said, come with me. Let me show you this man who told me everything I ever did. And they believed. And then they went and saw Christ. And think about why those who initially put their faith in Christ because of the testimony of the Samaritan woman finally said, 
they believed in him for themselves. And why did many more also put their faith in Christ? Why did they say that? Look at verse 41. It's right there in verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. Many more believed because of his word. They believed because they heard his word for themselves. John Piper says, first the woman's word leads to faith, and then Jesus' word leads to more faith. You realize that that true faith in Christ won't be a second-hand faith? You know what I mean? True faith in Christ won't won't just merely be a second-hand faith. Do any of you like to go to uh, thrift stores? You don't have to show me your hand, but yeah, you go to thrift stores. Carolyn didn't raise her hand, but she likes going to thrift stores. I know that if if she gets, she says, "I'm going to town and to run an errand," and if she doesn't come back like for two or three hours, like I expect her to come back maybe in an hour, I go, "Well, she found a thrift store or three, right?" You know, I'm we're blessed as a family because Carolyn's really good that way, and, and she loves going to the thrift stores and finding great deals on secondhand clothing. And maybe you've done that too. It just amazes me the kinds of things that she can buy at a thrift store that are that, that somebody paid top dollar for that she pays next to nothing for and, and wears just like it would have been if we'd have paid top dollar for it. It's amazing. The dictionary defines secondhand when speaking of goods as having had a previous owner. And I know Carolyn looks for those kinds of things that, that are secondhand, but those things that have had a previous owner, they're... They're usually like brand new when we get them, and we're very thankful for them. When speaking of information or experience, the dictionary defines secondhand as as uh, accepting something on another's authority and not from original investigation. Accepting something on another's authority and not from original investigation. You know, as a family, we've learned that secondhand clothing serves its purpose just as well as firsthand clothing, just as well and maybe even better because we didn't spend as much money on it, right? Fraction of the cost. But when it comes to your faith, you know that a second-hand faith, a faith that's based only on the testimony of another's authority and not from original investigation, that kind of faith is going to be a weak faith at best. If they had said to the woman, great, we believe, we, we trust in Jesus, that would have been good, that's important. And they said, that, but we don't need to go see him. And we don't need to hear anybody preach about it. We just accept it. They would not be truly saved, would they? Because you can't say, yes, I'll believe in him, but I don't need him. I'll believe in him, but I don't need to know about him or hear about him. And when it comes to your faith, secondhand faith won't get you very far. It's important. It's important to start somewhere, but it won't. It won't feed your soul. So, so how can you know if you've moved beyond a second-hand faith? And, and how do you know if you've seen and known Christ for yourself and truly put your faith in Him? Warren Wearsby writes, in answer to a question like that, it is important that new converts be grounded in the Word, the Bible. These Samaritans began their spiritual walk by trusting in what the woman said, but they soon learned to trust the Word taught by the Savior. Theirs was no second-hand salvation, and now you know where I ripped that idea off of. Theirs was no second-hand salvation. 
They knew that they were saved because they had believed his message. Now we know was their happy testimony. Now we know, they said. How did they know? They heard his word. They heard his word. The simple truth is that you're never going to grow spiritually strong until you get God's word into you and you make it your own. You will never have a strong faith that stands the tests and trials of life until you make His Word your own. It becomes a part of your life. That's what these people needed. That's what they got. Ray Steadman says, there's a wonderful lesson on the processes of spiritual growth. Many come to Christ by believing the testimony of others. They see what God has done in another man's or another woman's life. They are affected by it, and they believe. But that's not the end of Christian growth. When you come, there is a new level of personal experience. You believe because it happens to you as well. After two days with Jesus, the whole city was beginning to believe. Jesus had not experienced this among the Jews. Here were these ragtag Samaritans believing and responding, and Jesus is uplifted and strengthened by that. The Samaritans move from merely believing him to be the Messiah, come to do his political work, to believing that he was the Savior of the world. Anybody, anywhere can come to him, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world. He says, I've always loved that old hymn of Philip Bliss, Man of Sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And then he goes on to say that was what was happening to these people in Sychar. They were discovering the fountain of water springing up in their own hearts, the forgiveness of God, the sense of peace, of joy, of love within, and they were saying with almost unbelieving tones, we don't need to hear the woman talk about it now. It has happened to us. He is the Savior of the world. So that's what these new believers were saying. You see it in verse 42. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. It's not like they were discounting her testimony. But they were saying, now we believe for ourselves because now we've seen it ourselves. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here it is. Only a few days after believing that they saw very clearly for themselves that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's really kind of astonishing when you think about it. Note that verse 42 doesn't mean that that everyone in the world will be saved. That's not what this passage suggests. It's, It's not that everyone in the world would be saved. But it does mean that the witness of Christ is available to all. It's for the whole world. The witness of Christ is available to all. It's not just for the Jews. It's for every nation. It's for every people, every race. Revelation 7-9 gives us a clear picture that all are welcomed at God's throne when it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ from every nation, every people. So expressed in these Samaritans' understanding of who Christ is when they said, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world, 
and that and that because they they heard his word, they said, "We understand. We know that he's the savior of the world." And they and they understood because they heard his word, and they believed. And these Samaritan believers, amazingly enough, had a broader scope of vision for the lost than even the disciples had at this point. Remember what the scriptures say: No one asked. When they came and saw Jesus talking to the woman at the well, why are you speaking to this woman? Right? But they were thinking it. What in the world are you doing talking to her? And Jesus makes it clear. Salvation is for mankind, not just for the Jews. And it started for these citizens of Sychar when this one despised woman came to them and said, Come, see. Come and see. That's when it started for them. I think it's instructive that back in verse 29, she says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. It's instructive because she says, come and see. She doesn't say, go see. She doesn't. She's not satisfied with, let me just tell you about this guy I met. But she says, you have got to come with me. Come with me. Come and see. It's instructive because it reminds us that the witness of the Word of God to the soul is ultimately what sinners need. We ought not leave them with our witness. We ought to say, come and see. Let me show you Jesus Christ. We need to be all about telling unbelievers to come see for themselves. We've got to be all about bringing people to see Jesus for themselves. And those who put their faith in Christ won't last long on only our witness. So we better be diligent about taking people to Christ. They, they may believe for a time with a kind of second-hand faith, but very soon after our witness, they, they need the witness of the Word of God in their hearts to truly meet the needs of their souls. It's true for each person in this room. Each follower of Christ needs more than anything else the Word of God working in them. Because of Jesus' word, it says in verse 41, many more believed. Many more believed. It was the message of Christ that caused them to have faith. And God is still working that way today, praise God. God is still working that way through His word. He still uses your personal witness and the message of Jesus Christ to bring sinners to salvation. God can and does save sinners without the witness of believers, but he chooses to use your witness more times than not to point people to himself. You are to witness. I am to witness. If we are truly followers of Christ, we will be witnesses. But it's not our witness alone that leads to true faith. There must be the witness of God's word, and only the word will lead to true faith. It's not us. It's not us alone. It's not up to our cleverness. not up to our schemes on how we're going to win somebody to Christ. Yes, we must win them. We must lead them to Him. We must tell them about Christ. But the responsibility is not ours to convert them, is it? It's God's Spirit that does His work in them. And it's His Word that opens their eyes to the truth, and only the Word will lead to true faith. And as we're reminded in First Peter chapters 1 and 2, it only 
It's only God's Word that sustains those who have truly put their faith in Christ. Let me just share these verses with you from 1 Peter. At the end of chapter 1, it says, "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. In chapter 2, says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to taste and see that You are good, that we need Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. We cannot do it ourselves. And that we need Your Word to help us to see You clearly, to learn how we might become more and more like Christ every day. God, I pray for Your people that You would grow them in Christ's likeness that as they witness, because we will be a witness, as each believer here today witnesses with their life, God, help us to be a powerful witness like the woman who ran from the well and went back to the people at Sychar to, to tell them, come and see. God, I pray that the lives of Your people represented here this morning would shout out, come and see. And God, help us to bring people to You. And God, save their souls. Help us to give them Your Word. Help us to teach Your Word faithfully. Help us to preach Your Word faithfully. Help us to live it faithfully so that they see the Word and they see the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for those in our midst who may not know You as Lord and Savior that they too would realize they need Christ and that they can confess their sin right now put their trust in You, I, I pray, God, that You would help them to see their need for You, that they can't save themselves. They might be a good pe people, a good person, but, but their goodness is nothing in reality because, because any, even one sin separates us from You. Even one sin deserves the just wrath that You bring. So, God, I pray... Help unsaved souls today to realize they need your salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, the living water. And it's theirs when they put their faith in Christ, believe, repenting for sin, believing in Jesus Christ. And God, help us be a church that brings great honor and glory to you 
as we seek to be more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ, every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.